Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to CoastalOaksChurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. I invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. We're just going to look at verse 45 to begin with this morning. Mark, chapter 10, verse 45. Years ago, when General William Booth was still leading the Salvation Army that he had founded, there was a big international conference of that, that group meeting, and he was ill and was not able to make the meeting, so he sent a telegram with a one-word message to the whole convocation, to the whole group, and this is what he wrote, others, others. That, that was his message. That was the thing he wanted to convince that organization of why they existed, and I would like, if, if you don't get anything else out of this morning's message, that you would underscore, that's what we want to talk about today. We want to talk about others. I'd like to share with you some opportunities that God has given us as a congregation to serve one another and to serve others. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Listen to Jesus' words to his disciples. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. One of Jesus' favorite titles for himself, the Son of Man. He says, the Son of Man. Jesus is saying, he came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. He came to put others first. That's what we want to talk about this morning. I'd like to take Jesus' example and his teaching to his disciples and glean some principles from that passage and other New Testament passages about what it really means to serve others. First truth this morning is this, we need to think of the needs of others before our own. Think of the needs of others before our own. Romans chapter 12, as Paul, the apostle Paul gives instructions about the church coming together as a body. Listen to what he says. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, Think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. A description of the body of Christ, a description of the church. Remember, we've said over and over again, the church is not these four walls. The church is the people. We are the church. We are this explanation. Paul gives this analogy. We are a body, and we come together uniquely, different people, different backgrounds. Bill Hull said this, God's genius has been to throw together a hodgepodge of called-out believers and then require them to love one another and do the impossible together. I love that. God has put together this hodgepodge, this conglomeration, this varied group of people that he calls Coastal Oaks Church with this one desire that we could come together and do the impossible. And it begins with an attitude of understanding that we belong to one another. We are a body. We're to care for one another. Jesus tells his disciples, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. 
I have a pastor friend who tells a story about a lady in his church who came to him one day complaining at the end of a worship service. I, I don't know if she was complaining about the music or the preaching or the temperature or the light bulb that burned out or the carpet or whatever. A lot of things get complained about on a Sunday morning. Then she started complaining and just went on and on. And he said, dear lady, he said, I need to apologize to you. And she kind of took her back for a second. She said, what do you mean? He said, I need to apologize to you because somewhere along the line, I led you to believe that when you come to church, it's all about you. Now, I didn't say that. My friend did. Yeah, out loud. I have wanted to say that. Since when do we show up, and we're going to talk about Sunday morning a lot today. We talked a lot about others recently and reaching out, and I just want to talk about us coming together today. Since when did we come together all about for what we can get out of it, instead of thinking about others? When we pray on Sunday morning during our prayer time, Sometimes I'll ask you to pray that God would speak to your heart, and then I'll ask you to pray that God would speak to someone else's heart. Sometimes you're thinking, well, I've got my own needs. I don't need to pray for somebody else. You look around. Focus needs to be on the needs of others. Mother Teresa of Calcutta went into the slums to the poorest of the poor, and she cared for dying people who had no hope. She was interviewed often, and one of her interviews, this is what she said about her calling to those people. She said, I'm still convinced that it is he and not I. That's why I was not afraid. I knew that if the work was mine, it would die with me. But I knew it was his work, that it will live and will bring much good. If the work is looked at just by our own eyes and only from our own way, naturally, we ourselves can do nothing. But in Christ, we can do all things. That's why the work here became possible. Because we're convinced that it is he, he who is working with us and through us and in the poor and for the poor. Folks, there's a person who submitted to the lordship of Christ and who said, I'm going to put the needs of others before my own. First thing we need to understand about this others first is that bottom line. When we come together put the needs of others before ourselves. Number two, second principle, second truth. Serve willingly, not expecting anything in return. Serve willingly, not expecting anything in return. The lady that I just told the story about, she definitely was expecting something in return. Listen to John, chapter 13, verse 12. When Jesus had washed their feet, the disciples' feet, he put on his robe and he reclined again and said to them, do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, this is well said, for I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do do just as I have done. I assure you, a slave is not greater than his master and a Messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Jesus says to his disciples, I just washed your feet, guys. You know why I did that? Isn't it amazing they had to explain everything to them? Everything. 
He just gave them this incredible object lesson where he, as their rabbi, their teacher, their master, who had called them out of their lifestyles to follow him in obedience, he just showed them by his very actions as he took a basin and a towel and he washed their dirty feet. He showed them that he was willing to take on the the place of the lowest slave in the household. You know, that's the, the slave you call in to wash dirty feet. You know who that is? That's the guy that you call to clean the toilets. That's that's the person that you leave the lowest of the low jobs in your household to do. And Jesus said, watch me. He got down and he washed their feet. But he still had to explain it to them. To say, I've given you an example that you should do as I've done. By the way, I'm not sure they were ready to wash one another's feet. Jesus willingly gave them not expecting anything in return there's a Jewish custom in the Old Testament every seven years the slaves got set free it's incredible how God puts this in order for the children of Israel every seven years the slaves are set free but a slave had a choice to make he could either go free and do his own thing or he could willingly stay with his master And it happened often where a slave would be given his freedom and and that slave would say, you know what? I'm being treated well by my master. I love my master. I don't want my freedom. I want to be a willing slave of my master. I want to be a volunteer slave. They would take that slave and put his ear up against a doorpost and drive an awl through it to to make a, a mark, an indication, a hole in the ear to say that this person now is a volunteer slave. What, what a great description of a, of a follower of Christ. Volunteer slave. Willingly, as Jesus took up the towel and washed the disciples' feet, to volunteer to do that. In order to do that, leads me to my third point. He gave up his rights and position. So that's my third truth. Give up your rights and your position. Folks, if anybody had the right to say to those disciples, hey guys, wash my feet, Jesus had that right. Listen to this in Philippians chapter 2. This incredibly deep theological explanation, but it is so practical, this statement of how Jesus gave up his rights and position. Again, Paul is writing, Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. Some translations say, let this mind be in you, or let this heart be in you. So he's saying, let this this be your heart attitude, just like Jesus Christ's heart attitude. Who, speaking of Jesus, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. When he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus showed his disciples by washing their feet that he was there to willingly serve them. By coming and walking in an earthly body, he demonstrated his willingness to leave aside his place in glory and to come and walk with them. Our choir sings a song about that, that that the creator came to live amongst his creation. 
so that he could live in their hearts, live in our hearts. Jesus didn't set aside his deity, his godness, and then come to earth and walk around just as a man. Some people teach that. That's error. Jesus came. John chapter 1 says Jesus was eternally with the Father. In the beginning was the Word. That's Jesus, the Logos. And verse 14, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God in heaven, the second person of the Trinity, came to live within us, to, came to live among us, took on the person of man, and as, as this stanza says in Philippians chapter 2, took on the form of a slave. He was the God-man, fully God, fully man. He wasn't 50-50. He didn't set aside his deity. He was fully the God-man. He did that for us, willingly giving up his rights and his position as king of kings, enthroned in heaven. We need to give up our rights and our position to serve others. I don't know what your position is. I don't know what you say, well, I'm entitled to this. But listen to Romans chapter 12 again, back to Paul's teaching about the body of Christ. Listen to verse 10 as he describes the kind of, the way that that, that attitude of Christ-likeness is demonstrated in the body. Show family affection to one another with brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lack diligence. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you and bless and do not uh, curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be in agreement with one another. Listen to this. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. I I think, again, it's, it's underscored this truth that we're to humble ourselves and to put others' needs before our needs and not make it all about us. Abe Lincoln, one of my favorite historical figures, at one time had to tell one of his Union generals, General George McClellan, had to basically call him on the carpet and, and um, scold him for neglect of duty. And somebody indicated in that, as that was taking place, that Lincoln may have enjoyed that being the president and calling the general on the carpet. And Lincoln said this, he said, I would hold McClellan's horse if only it would bring success in the war effort. Lincoln said, you know, it's not about me being the boss and him being the general, me being the chief of staff and him being the general. It's about let's do whatever we need to do. I love that. I'll hold his horse. I'll do whatever it takes. I will humble myself. I will give up my rights and my authority and my position if only only it'll bring success in the war. There's a story of some soldiers in World War II who were passing through France. One of their buddies was killed and they stopped by a church and wanted to bury their friend, give their friend a proper burial in the cemetery there at the church. And as they were trying to make that happen, the priest came out and he asked them what they were doing and they told him, and, and the priest said, has your friend been baptized in the Roman Catholic Church? They said, no. He said, well, he can't be buried in the cemetery. You'll have to bury him outside the fence. So they were disappointed, but they had to bury their friend and move on, and they went on with their deployment, came back through later, and thought they'd stop by and visit their friend's grave, and they couldn't find the grave. 
They started looking around and discovered after they left sometime, the priest had taken the fence to the cemetery and moved it to include their friend's grave. I think the priest came to the point where he said, you know, it's not all about me and my authority. It's all about doing the right thing. Maybe some of us need to hear this this morning. It's about doing the right thing. It's about surrendering our rights and our position and they ought to come and talk to me about that. They ought to apologize to me. They ought to, whatever, you fill in the blank. It's called servanthood. You ever hear somebody say, it's not my gift? I don't do that. That's not my gift. Because you are a part of the body of Christ. I'm talking to the Coastal Oaks family right now, okay? So everybody else gets to listen in. Because you are a part of the body of Christ, we do want you to know what your spiritual gift is. We do want you to to serve in your ministry giftedness because that's where there's fulfillment and fruit and joy. We do want that, but that should never be an excuse not to serve others. I don't do hospitals. That's not my gift. I don't pray with those people. That's not my gift. I don't help in that area. That's not my gift. Folks, that's not an option for us to say it's not my gift. See, servanthood means there are times when everybody steps in and helps. We haven't done it in a while, but for many years we met in a gym where every Sunday morning we had to put away the furniture and stack it. And we put this piano, was on wheels, and we rolled it away, and the drums, everything. We put everything away every week. And as we did that, the first year was exciting, and the second year was still exciting, and the third year got a little less exciting, and the fourth year it got to be a burden, and the fifth year... It was really hard to do, and by the six year, y'all, we did that for 12 years. And slowly, the group that helped put stuff away dwindled away, and there was a handful of folks who were committed that we're going to make this happen every week. There was a handful of folks who said, you know what? There's a need here, and I'm going to help out. That's the spirit of Philippians chapter 2. That's the spirit of Romans chapter 12. John Brody was a quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers back when I was a kid. He was asked one time why a million-dollar quarterback like himself would hold that football for the field goal kicker. And I loved his response. He said, well, if I didn't, it would fall over. You're the pastor. Why would you do that? You're a deacon. Why would you, why would you do that? Well, you're a Sunday school teacher, a connection class teacher. That's not your job. I don't find that in Scripture. I find our Savior stepping out of his place of honor and glory to walk among us to give his life for us. Did you see that last part of Philippians chapter 2, verse 8? He humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death, the death on a cross. Not only... Did he set aside his home in glory to walk on earth? But he gave his life on a cruel Roman cross and was tortured for us. That's what you call putting the needs of others before your own. I still can't wrap my brain around the verse that says, He who knew no sin became sin for us. He took our sin on the cross. I remember my little Carissa when she was five years old. 
we shared the gospel with her. She grew up in church. Naturally, she was in the nursery because she was ours and we were there. She heard the story about Jesus loving her, Jesus dying for her. But at five years old, sitting on our living room couch, that little girl sharing the gospel with her again, we were reading a Bible story, and she was really asking those questions about, is it time for me to make this decision? She became convicted and convinced that it was her sins that led Jesus to die on the cross. And she just broke. And I I just, Kelly and I both cried with her and we wept and she prayed and invited Christ into her life. But I thought that's where every person needs to come to that point of realizing he died in your place. He died for you. You've never trusted him as your savior. I'm gonna invite you to do that today. Because he gave his life for you. If I'm going to serve others, I need to put their needs before mine. I need to willingly serve. I need to give up my rights and my position. And then we've already been talking about this, but number four, I must be willing to sacrifice. I must be willing to sacrifice. Jesus washing the disciples' feet, giving his life, dying on the cross, willingly. Again, John chapter 10, verse 45, he came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom. Give his life a ransom for many. He willingly sacrificed for us. Now, we don't follow his example so that we can go to heaven. That's not why Jesus talks about the example. We follow his example in obedience of service and love and honoring him as our Savior said in John chapter 10, no one takes my life from me, I lay it down, willingly sacrificing. J. H. Jowett said, ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. Ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. Can I paraphrase that? If your service for the Lord is a piece of cake and easy and doesn't challenge you. It may not be making that difference for eternity. We sing a song sometimes here called I Surrender All. I wonder if if everybody could sing that. Honestly. I think really if we examined our hearts we'd be singing I Surrender Some. I surrender some. Some to Jesus I surrender. I surrender some. It's not sacrifice. I read recently that churches are full of people doing jobs. Vibrant, growing, dynamic churches are full of people who have found a ministry. Listen to this list. If you're serving here or wherever you go to church on a regular basis, and you're serving, you're doing it because no one else would do it, it might be a job. If you're doing it out of love and devotion for Christ, it is probably a ministry. If you're going to do your service as long as it doesn't interfere with anything else that you have in your life, it may be a job. But if you're going to do it, even if some other things in your life have to be set aside, it may be a ministry. 
If you're serving so that you expect people to recognize you, maybe a job. If you've decided, I'm going to remain faithful in spite of recognition, maybe a ministry. If your concern is success, it may be a job. If your concern is faithfulness, you probably have a ministry. The challenge is, if you have a job in the church, just give it up and take up a ministry. See, it all starts with the heart, folks. It's not, I must do this, I have to do this, but I want to do this, I get to do this. Every week when we broke down those chairs and put stuff away when we were meeting in the gym, the question would come to me, Pastor, do we have to put these chairs away today? And I would say usually, no, we don't. We don't have to, we get to. Pastor, do we have to give? No, we don't have to, we get to. Pastor, do we have to serve one another? No, we don't have to, we get to. It's all in your perspective. On Easter Sunday morning, we have taken a step of faith to schedule three worship services. And most of what I've challenged you to do this morning has been to serve one another, but now I want to I wanna broaden that scope and talk about others who are going to be coming to this place who don't normally come to this place. We passed out some invite cards last week. There's still a bunch over there on the table. We had to reorder, praise the Lord, and they did come in. We have more of these invite cards, and we're just asking you to take those, and it says on there, Easter Sunday, Easter worship, 8 a.m., 9.30 a.m., 11 a.m., and we're asking you to take those and use those to invite people, because we said last week, people come to church on Easter Sunday. They may not come any time other than Easter Sunday or Christmas. One of our guys in our connection class was sharing how he had invited a guy to church, and the guy was pretty rough and gruff and said, I don't need that stuff. I talked to God on my own, and it was pretty pretty bad end of the conversation. This guy went and got one of these out of his car and took it back to the guy, and the guy said, well, you know, I I do go to church sometimes on Easter. (laughs) Folks, there's an opportunity. We invite you to take those and pray over them. Three other opportunities we have here on Easter Sunday morning with the three worship services is the child care need is going to be great. We had 50-something kids in our little coasters last week. Um, 30-something plus in just one little room of the, of the age group that walks out of here. There will be children here on Easter Sunday morning who haven't been to church in a year, and their parents are going to need to hear the gospel, and we're going to need to help them with their kids. If you're a church member and you've been here for six months, we invite you to pray about picking up one of the packets. As you go down the hallway when we leave today, the children's building sign up right down at the bottom of the ramp. There's a packet that explains our child care policy and has a form that you can fill out to give permission for a background check so you could be available to serve. We need you on Easter Sunday morning. Um, not supposed to challenge people because there's a need. You're supposed to challenge them because they love the Lord. But folks, we need you to love the Lord. It's not either or, it's both and. There are going to be people coming and we want to have the best child care available for them. We'll need greeters at the children's table. A couple of other opportunities. We need greeters in the foyer in the entrances, at the, at the doors when people come in. We need people in the parking lot to help greet in the parking lot. We've figured out after we schedule these three services that it's going to be a logistical challenge because people who are here for the 8 o'clock service are going to be leaving as the people who are coming in for the 9.30 service. And you're going to have that in the parking lot. And then when the 9.30 service is over, you got people showing up for the 11 o'clock. So we're going to need people at key locations in the church facilities, and in the parking lot. 
And there are two groups of sign-up sheets in the foyer on the left and the right-hand side of the, of the uh, information table. You can sign up, and there, there are three columns at the edge of your signature, and you can sign up to serve during 8 o'clock, 9.30, or 11. So, well, Pastor, I've, I want to come to church on Easter Sunday and worship. You come on. You have three opportunities. And you can come worship one of those opportunities and serve the other two. Our worship team and choir, they've made a commitment. They're going to be here for all three serving. You don't have to do that. But you could serve one, worship one, serve another. However God leads you to do that. But we want an army of dedicated volunteers who willingly serve that day. Now, here's my disclaimer. Don't you dare sign up because you feel like you have to. Don't. Don't go out of here saying, boy, the pastor twisted my arm. Don't go out here and say, oh, those poor little kids, who's going to do it? If, no, if I don't do it, nobody will. That's not what I'm, ask, I'm asking. I'm asking you to say, Lord, if you want to use me, I willingly volunteer to be used in that place. My last point. If we will put the needs of others before ourselves, if we will give up our rights and position, if we will willingly serve and willingly sacrifice. And we do it with the right heart attitude. We'll become, we will become a usable vessel. A usable vessel. Let me just close with this 2 Timothy passage. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. The Apostle Paul writing to Timothy about life in the church, he says, Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver bowls, but also those of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. So if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he will be a special instrument, set apart, useful for the master, prepared for every good work. As we go into Easter Sunday, and as you willingly say, I want to be used, I, I want to challenge you to be an a clean vessel to do that. That you would say, God, if there's sin in my life, I want to confess it to you. I want your cleansing. If there's a relationship that's not right, I'm going to challenge you to make that relationship right. If there's somebody in this church that you don't like, we challenge you to ask God to work in your heart and, and, and do a work so that we can be in unity on that Sunday morning. That we can be clean, empty, and available vessels used for God's glory. We have a two-car garage at our house. I think in the 18 years we've lived there, I've had one car in that garage for a little while. Our garage is the place where everything goes and we can't find another place for it. I don't know why we call it a garage. I, I whittled out a little corner to be my workbench. And then more tools, and then I have a, a workshop sort of in... Over the last year, stuff has just taken over my garage. Stuff I've thrown out there, Christmas stuff that grew, it multiplied, Christmas decorations. I, we didn't have two of these last year. What happened? Stuff just took over my garage. In this last couple of days, I wanted to do a project in my, my wood shop. And you know what I had to do before I could do my project? I had to clean it out. I had to take all that stuff that was in the way. You know, some of it wasn't bad stuff. It just needed to be put in place. Some of it was junk and it needed to be hauled away. But I had to clean it out so that I could use it. 
Maybe as we look forward to Easter Sunday, that's where you are. You want to be used of God, but God needs to clean house. Why don't you let him do that? Let's pray together.